Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a pretty exciting founder uh, from from Russia, actually, uh, and I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit. You know, his uh, story, how he built and scaled his company, is definitely full of super exciting stories, uh, many breakdowns, leading to breakthroughs, uh, and I think that we are all going to have a very, very good time, full of insights and lessons learned. So I guess. Without further ado, let me welcome our guest today, Oleg Tumenov. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Alejandro, thank you for very much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So originally born and raised in Moscow, 55 years ago. So how was, how was life growing up in Moscow then? Well, believe it or not, we didn't know any other life. Uh, we didn't uh, travel at that time. so. Uh, although the life was not easy in the former Soviet Union, but uh, as we did not know any alternative, we thought that we had a very good life. Uh, we were not rich, uh, but there was something uh, very good about uh, that times. Uh, we were making friends, true friends. Uh, we lived in a bit uh, romantic world, I would say. Um, and uh, also propaganda made uh, also its impact. Uh, again, we thought that it was the best society of all. Uh, now we are definitely uh, rethinking uh, many things, but at that time we were very happy. And obviously at that point too, I mean, you grew up in a family where there were musicians, so definitely a lot of creativity going on. Yeah, my father and my mother... Uh, both were musicians. They they taught me music. Uh, I was I uh, was learning piano. I'm still playing piano. Actually, I compose music. Uh, this is still uh, a very significant part of my my life. By the way, Alejandro, you can find me as a composer, not only as an entrepreneur. Uh, if you just look at on the web on Oleg Tumanov. Uh, as a composer, I just recently released a new CD in Brazil. Wow, in Brazil, out of in all Brazil. the places. So, so I guess I guess this creativity, uh, I would I would assume that it has also shaped and and also been 
very, very helpful no, in your professional career because, you know, there's people like Steve Jobs that say that that the operators, you know, he, he said that some of his best engineers, they had the that musician uh, type of skill set. So would you say that it has also helped you in your professional career and perhaps more in your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, definitely, yes. And I think... Uh, um, to be in this industry, uh, in this rapidly changing world, uh, facing all the challenges, uh, you have to be very creative and you have to uh, invent or reinvent yourself basically every day, uh, at least every month. Uh, uh, every month I have kind of a brainstorming with myself of uh, what else I can do, if I am going the right direction. Uh, what else uh, we can? Uh, what else we can uh, create in different parts of our businesses? So after after all, it's, it's you know there, there are many things in our lives uh, which have a lot of similarities. It seems that it's totally different kind of uh, areas of humanity of human activities, but there are many common things. So whether it's in the business or in um, in uh, creative work, in music, or in sports, there are some f philosophical uh, rules, uh, and the creati creativity can manifest itself in in, in all different uh, parts of our lives. So, definitely, yes, it's very important. And obviously, your father recommended not following the professional route of becoming a musician, but but why did you choose finance? Uh, at that time, I you know. I did not understand much in my life. And uh, uh, yes, my father actually, who taught me music, he also told, told me that the life of musician in the former Soviet Union would be very, very challenging uh, for me. And that I should uh, have uh, another job, another profession. Uh, and the Moscow Finance Institute was kind of, uh, at that time, a prestigious institute. And I was uh, I was a good student, uh, so uh, I entered this uh, institute or its university actually and got my degree. Um, but again, I, I think what happened uh, was good. Uh, so I have a very good uh, uh, life as a, as a professional in the economy in the finance. And ultimately, I became an entrepreneur, but still, I have, I have been keeping music very close to me as a part of my life as well. Got it. And obviously, you know, on the finance side, I mean, you you went into banking. Uh, you actually uh, started scaling up the ranks very, very quickly. You even lived in New York, in Geneva, you name it. But I guess one of the most interesting segues here is when you finally make the jump from banking. And, and explore other types of segments. So tell us about this. Well, I should have done this uh, long before, I mean, to start my own entrepreneurial career. Uh, when the uh, Soviet Union started to collapse, it happened so that I, um, I got a unique opportunity to become a top manager in a big, big bank in, in Russia. And uh, so I became that manager. It was I was deputy 
deputy uh, chief of executive board of a big bank and was kind of a huge career jump for me. But, you know, there is an English saying, a blessing in disguise when something bad happens to you, but but in a sense, uh, ultimately, it works out pretty well for you. Uh, There is something opposite. When something something good happens to you, but in a sense, it keeps you from something much bigger or more interesting opportunity. So I should, uh, I should have be- uh, become uh, an entrepreneur at that time when uh, at the very early days um, uh, of uh, the modern Russia after the collapse of the so- former Soviet Union and not pursue this career job, uh, career opportunity. Because uh, most people who started at that time, early 90s, um, they uh, built uh, empires, and uh, and and uh, for me, uh, I've been moving from one uh, good uh, executive position to another, uh, you know, with a better pay, better pay, so a better position, and ultimately, I, I ended up uh, uh, as an entrepreneur. But again, I should have started it uh, uh, sooner. But in any yeah. case, it worked out, um, I would say, good for me. So it was a good professional life as a, as a manager. Now I am very happy with what I've been doing as an entrepreneur. I started this company in uh, 2007, and so I've been running it for 13 years. And, and obviously the way that it started, I mean, it started with challenges even from the beginning with some of the shareholders confronting each other. So. So I guess, I guess first and foremost, how did this idea come to life? Uh, and then perhaps, you know, like after you tell us how this idea came to life, then you can tell us about those confrontations that were happening. Well, this company was, in a sense, uh, born uh, when I was uh, chief executive of a big industrial group called Access Industries. This group is owned by Leonard Blavatnik. Uh, uh, who is uh, a businessman of Russian origin, but he is now an American uh, businessman and entrepreneur and a, a well-known investor. And I was uh, the CEO of his Russian holding. And as a CEO of his Russian holding, I met uh, with um, uh, one of top executives of uh, Warner Music and uh, Access Industries controlled and still controls uh, Warner Music. Actually, they uh, they made an IPO recently, just a couple of months ago. Uh, so I met with uh, uh, one of the executives of Warner Music and suggested to um, create a company which would distribute uh, a digital music uh, in Russia and the former uh, former USSR. Uh, countries, and um, and uh, he supported it, but he made uh, one condition that I would bring another a music major. So I struggled for half uh, one and a half years uh, to find another music major and convinced to create a joint venture. And ultimately, uh, Sony uh, Sony Music uh, also joined uh, this uh, initiative. And uh, once we started to operate, uh, these uh, two majors started to confront each other and did not find a common uh, view <laughs> and ultimately didn't work out. And so I, with a 
with my partner. I just made an offer to buy this company out, and this is how my independent journey began. So um, I took this company and started to develop it so on my own. And basically, I moved uh, from a uh, um, mu digital music distribution business uh, to um, a direct-to-consumer online video company. And since 2010, uh, we've been doing only that. It's uh, an OTT VOD company. Okay. So then, so then, tell us about the issue that happened between the two shareholders. Well, they didn't have, have a common view on the way to distribute uh, to distribute music uh, and the pricing policy and who needs to do what. I mean, it's already. An old story, I don't think that anyone interested. The, the point is that it did not work out for these two majors. And, uh, and I didn't uh, see any point to try to somehow make them both happy. So it, it was much better for me to buy it out and to develop my own business. And uh, now this company, the company that I bought and started the online video company, which is called... Uh, EV in Russian or IV or IVI, uh, the, the, the spelling is IVI. So this is now the leading Russian online video company. Very cool. And obviously to develop something like this, you needed a lot of courage and vision because there was no legal online video companies really back then. So, so what happened here? Right. Uh, it was a challenge from the very beginning. Um, when we uh, first launched uh, our um, online uh, video site on web, there was only a web uh, website, uh, we launched it uh, in an environment which was 100% pirate, uh, pirate environment. So there was no legal uh, or legitimate uh, uh, streaming service in Russia. And many people believed that we were crazy to launch uh, a legal uh, streaming service in such, uh, uh, in such an environment. But somehow uh, I was a believer that uh, the world is changing in a big way, uh, that this linear uh, TV model uh, with time would be obsolete. Uh, because people would benefit from an on-demand uh, streaming uh, opportunity and what it can bring uh, to the customer. Because the customer uh, requested uh, personalization of the user experience. And we thought that uh, we could bring uh, uh, and give a better user experience than even pirates could do at that time. Of course, pirates... Uh, could offer a lot of content and fresh content, and it was hard to compete with that, but not but not a good user experience. And also, uh, if you think uh, that um, pirates can uh, efficiently solve a problem, uh, what uh, 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 to offer you the content you want to watch when you know what you want to watch. But pirates are not very good when you do not know what you want to watch. And, uh, and you need some kind of guidance. 
And here, by providing a better user experience and, and recommendations, uh, knowing the customer, then you can win even with pirates. And so we started to develop the, legit, the, the, the legitimate uh, uh, content uh, streaming business in Russia, and we started to win the audience. Uh, we started with the advertising-supported model at that time, uh, and it is uh, still uh, an important model, but uh, for 10 years, many things, uh, many things uh, have changed. Uh, and um, now we derive most of our revenues from the paid, uh, paid model or customer payments. And obviously, one of the things that has changed is the development of smart TV platforms. Is that correct? Yes, it's very correct. Uh, and honestly, when we started uh, the business with the ad-supported model, uh, we were not believers uh, in uh, a chance that Russians would uh, would pay for the content, but but uh, we could not get uh, we could not get uh, uh, the most interesting content uh, on the ad supported model, uh, particularly from the U.S. majors, Hollywood studios. The Hollywood studios uh, um, have this uh, global policy that uh, in certain window, uh, customer has to pay for the content. Uh, they, I mean, majors, would not give uh, content for the ad-supported model no matter how much money we were ready to offer. And uh, in 2011, uh, we made a big round with the U.S.-based uh, private equity uh, firm, Tiger Global, uh, and the big was a big round uh, couple of uh, dozens of millions of dollars. And so Tiger insisted that we should conclude the uh, agreements with U.S. majors and get the content no matter what. And so I went to LA and I concluded these expensive deals. And we started to offer this, um, uh, this content uh, on the paid model, on the pay-per-view and, and transactional. And uh, our customers uh, let us down. Uh, nobody was willing to buy. And so it was a disaster, actually. We were off like 10 times uh, to our initial calculations. So we thought that it was a, uh, an epic failure. Uh, and, and we thought that uh, we would, uh, these contracts would expire, they would run out, and we would not, uh, and that we would, uh, that we would not uh, prolong these uh, contracts with U.S. majors. Uh, but then, but then uh, something interesting started to happen. Uh, on the smart TV, we noticed that there is a, a, a certain trend that people were buying more than on uh, PC web. And we started to develop uh, more kind of conversion uh, mechanics uh, and... Uh, uh, and focus on this conversion into paying customers, and little by, by little, we improved our uh, we improved our um, um, uh, our uh, ratios, uh, and we we saw more and more payments coming from smart TV platforms, and now it is uh, actually a major uh, uh, part of our revenues, the paid model, and particularly smart TV. 
So now, uh, by, by this year, probably 80% of our revenues would come from the paid model, believe it or not. And we were just about to discontinue it. And that, That's amazing. That, that would be a, a major mistake. Absolutely. And, and how much capital have you guys raised for the business? Uh, how much money? Yeah, how much money have you guys raised for the business, for, for EB? Uh, close to 200 million. And we actually made, and yeah. we made, uh, recently we made uh, a banking uh, financing crown. So we borrowed uh, a close to uh, 50 million US dollars in rubles from, uh, from Alpha Bank, believe it or not. <laughs> the, wow. bank, uh, the bank I was running. Everything comes around. Everything comes in full circle. So very, very cool. And I know that at one point here, when you were raising money, there was certain legislation that was prohibiting foreign investments in the OTT sector. And I know that this was really tough for you guys because literally the business was on the brink of survival. So what happened there? Yes, in uh, 2017, uh, there was an initiative in the Russian parliament uh, to prohibit uh, uh, foreign investors to operate in the Russian OTT segment uh, to control more than 20% of Russian OTT companies or to offer streaming services in Russia. So that was a draft of the law. It uh, came out quite unexpectedly for us. It uh, was following the law of mass media, uh, which basically prohibited foreign uh, investors to participate in the Russian mass, mass media companies or control more than 20% of a Russian mass media company. So there was a similar law uh, introduced, and uh, I was uh, actually uh, very much uh, shocked with the draft of this law because basically it would be it would mean the end of our business because we financed uh, uh, we were financing our company mostly by the foreign foreign money. And not because we liked foreign money more than uh, Russian money, just the question that uh, there were, were no Russian investor thinking about this kind of time horizons, like five to 10 years. So they were not growing uh, VC businesses for five or 10 years. They were more short-term oriented. And foreign investors, on the other hand, they had this notion of building uh, a business uh, which had a big potential, but uh, within you know like a time frame of three, five, maybe seven years, uh, was supposed to make money. What uh, wasn't supposed to make money was producing losses, and uh, so um, and so this uh, adoption uh, of this law would be a disaster for us. And so I had to meet with uh, a lot of Russian officials, at Duma at, at, at the Russian government. Uh, and to explain to them that the, the, they would just kill the Russian legitimate uh, and legal uh, streaming market, nascent and uh, early stage growing market. Uh, and somehow I managed to convince them. So they actually they kept this condition that uh, foreign strategic players or operators like Netflix or similar companies they would not operate in Russia without a special license from the Russian government, but they still allowed uh, foreign financial investors uh, to, uh, to keep 
shares in the Russian company or even to control Russian companies. Wow. Wow. So then how long, I mean, how much runway did you guys have until that money came in? Um, well, I was making uh, rounds by rounds uh, during these uh, uh, 13, uh, 13 years of our operations. Uh, and I kind of, uh, at every round, I was thinking that in the worst time, I had to live on my own money. And so at all times, I had uh, a plan to downsize if necessary, and somehow to try to meet the ends. It was only the question of how fast uh, we would be growing. Uh, we still can, we can become uh, very profitable, but uh, we believe still that the, the big uh, battle for the market is still ahead of us. Uh, and uh, we continue to find for the market share and for the size, we are, are getting prepared to an IPO. It may happen uh, early next year on the U.S. Uh, one of the U.S. exchanges. Um, so we're still, despite that this is the 13th uh, anniversary of our operations and 10-year anniversary of uh, Ivy as an online streaming business, uh, but I think still we are at the early stage of the development of our company. So then let's let's say let's talk about this just for a second. So. Uh, for the folks that are listening, uh, would it be possible for you to share like anything that maybe like gives them like a picture of how big uh, Ivy is today? Uh, yeah, I can give you some numbers. Uh, so in terms of the revenues, uh, we should make this year between nine to nine and a half billion rubles in revenue. Uh, the ruble, ruble devaluated recently by 15, 20%. So we thought that we would be making $150 million uh, this year in revenues. Uh, I think it will be more like 135 uh, plus or minus uh, because of the devaluation. We have been growing by 50 to 60% every year uh, before 1914. Uh, uh, so 2014, sorry, uh, we have been growing by 100%, and uh, during the last six years, we've been growing by 50 to 60%. This year, we, we are growing close to these numbers, close to 60% as well. Um, uh, we have a big audience. Uh, 50 million uh, unique visitors come to uh, our uh, service every month which uh, this uh, audience is uh, converted into 20 million uh, unique watchers. Uh, and uh, we have a paying audience of 3.2 million uh, uh, people paying us uh, for the last month. So this gives you a bit of a size of our operations. That's fantastic. And how many employees do you guys have? Um, I think now we have uh, 670 people. Will be wow. about 700 by the end of this year. And how would you say? I mean, obviously those numbers are pretty amazing. And I'm sure that in order for you to get this company to this level, you also had to grow yourself as a leader. So how how did you go about that? 
Uh, I I don't have a special uh, technique of growing myself uh, into a leader. It just it happened uh, kind of naturally because since uh, 1990 uh, I've been uh, at the top management positions, but always I have something entrepreneurial in every company that I've worked. So, um, but there are definitely certain uh, corporate culture that I nourish. Uh, in my company and um, my 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 own kind of technique uh, of leading this company um, and dealing with people, um, yeah, I believe uh, the corporate corporate culture and the leadership is extremely important. I don't remember who said that uh, corporate culture eats strategy uh, on breakfast. Uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, 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 kind of uh, lectors at Harvard or somewhere. I think it's a very right. It's a very right uh, phrase. Absolutely, and obviously surrounding you know in that regard yourself with the right people. So I guess now over six hundred employees. Um, you know that's a a fair amount of uh, of employees. But I'm wondering during this process of of really onboarding all these folks. Uh, I'm sure that you were very careful as to who, who you would bring uh, to the business to help you. And I'm wondering, like, like during your, your perhaps like during recruiting, I mean, is there like one specific question that you typically ask that you pay the most attention to what's going to be the potential answer to? Um, well, I uh, have a, I have a kind of an approach of a free uh, uh, format interview, uh, and depending on the person uh, and depending on how the conversation goes, I try to sense and get a feeling if uh, the person has these uh, uh, leadership skills, how he thinks, uh, if he is able to uh, keep a big picture, if he has a systematic uh, uh, approach to things. Um, if he is a kind of a proactive person, uh, I'm trying to find uh, and sense his uh, personality and values. Um, for me, these th these things uh, are even more important uh, than uh, than uh, a particular professional skills. Uh, I also try to find the cre creativity level and what person uh, achieved and in, at what uh, conditions he was able to achieve what he achieved. Uh, these things are important. Uh, again, um, because uh, our world is so uh, uncertain and so many things uh, changing so rapidly, uh, a, a person must learn all the time. Uh, he must not be arrogant. Uh, and this is a very uh, bad quality to be arrogant, in my view, in this kind of yeah. world. Um, so I kind of try to evaluate these kind of qualities uh, more even than the professionalism. 
because uh, you will learn in three to six months, uh, you will, uh, if you have all these right qualities and if you, if you are eager to learn, if you are a proactive person, if you have the right values, um, uh, if you have the leadership skills, if you have a systematic mind, you uh, can catch up basically uh, on every uh, on every part of our business uh, but uh, if you don't have these qualities uh, no matter what uh, your professional level is uh, we will not be somehow we will we will confront each other we will not survive together in my view and this uh, and this uh, this story confirmed confirmed uh itself many times in very cool very cool and and i guess uh, you know for the for the folks that are listening i think that they're going to appreciate this and this is a question that i that i typically ask the guests that come on the show if you had the opportunity to go back in time because i mean you've been out with with ivy for for quite some time operating and building and executing the business if you had the opportunity to speak with your younger self with that younger Oleg, that is maybe thinking about launching a business, what would be that one piece of business advice before launching a business that you would give to your younger self and why, knowing what you know? Well, first of all, I would um, I would uh, definitely say to my younger self, go ahead. Because uh, when I was, again, uh, uh, younger, perhaps... Uh, I did not. I did not um, um, made the right choices for me because I was playing someone else's game. If you know what I mean. Actually, uh, uh, I actually wrote a book, uh, and it's available on Amazon. It's called Ch- "Choose Yourself," nice. and, uh, and uh, it's kind of uh, a view on the world. Uh, it's not only about business, but it's more like uh, and a philosophical uh, philosophical book. And uh, this is uh, one good example when I was young uh, for me to be the deputy uh, chief executive of a big bank was kind of a matter of prestige. Uh, and uh, launching a small business, I mean, how it can be compared with the being of, you know, deputy CEO of a big bank. Uh, it was kind of no comparison. And, uh, and it was wrong, basically. And I was playing someone else's game, if you know what I mean. Uh, while if I, would go, if I would go ahead with my own dream, uh, I've, I would have done much better, I, I, I'm sure. Uh, and so my first advice would be to go uh, to go with my dream, uh, to dream big, definitely uh, uh, to find a model with uh, a good potential and, uh, and a good scale, and just focus. These things I would uh, uh, these things I would uh, say to myself. So be persistent and focus. Uh, think big uh, because. Uh, you know, it would give it would give an inspiration um, and a focus and a persistence. And it, you know, the market and the work would would do would do the thing. That's amazing. It's like they're saying, 
uh, that if you don't build your own dream, someone is going to build you to build theirs. So yeah. um, I, uh, I love it. So most important, I would say, be yourself. Be yourself. Don't play any other people uh, people's games. And this is uh, not only about business, about anything in our life, I would say. And uh, a lot of people do not understand uh, understand this. I and mean, it's a pity because they have uh, some uh, some uh, uh, something that uh, someone else believes this is great, but because they're not, it's not natural for them, uh, you know, to have what they have and they would uh, if they would be uh, themselves they would probably go with a different path with different values and would be much uh, happier so that's what i mean in many very things. profound not very only profound Oleg. so i guess uh, for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi uh for them to say hi maybe to send me a message on my email wonderful so what what is your email uh, it's very simple. It's um, uh, otomanov at ivi.com. That are you, sorry. That are you. It's O T U M A N O V at uh, ivi.ru. Amazing. Well, Oleg, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. It's a pleasure to, to be on your show, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.